Um, I always give this example that one of my colleagues shared with me and his daughter absolutely loves physical education. And um, he asked her, what do you want to be when you leave school? Like you need to pick your choices now for academic studies in the later years of, of schooling. And he thought that she was going to say PE. I want to be a PE teacher. And she said um, she didn't say that. And he asked why. And she said, well, I've never seen a PE teacher that wears a hijab. So I don't think I, I can be that, can I? And ever since he shared that with me, it's my absolute mission to send, a, you know, as many teachers who wear hijabs in, into school so that young people know, um, yes, you can do this and, and you would be valued in this and we appreciate you um, and we want, we want to hear from you. We want you to apply to my programme. Please do come to UEL. <laughs> I would love to have you um, and I will help you and I will... Um, I won't necessarily understand what you go through as a trainee teacher wearing a hijab, but I can um, do my very best to support you and coach you through that process as much as I can. This is the Fizet Cast. Past few weeks has been a tremendously introspective time for me and for many people around the world as we view the events of the Black Lives Matter protests and the fight for equality that is going on all around the world. This has definitely been at the forefront of my thinking for um, the past few weeks as I struggle to understand what I can do um, as someone who identifies as a white cisgender male. Um, to support the, those people who are feeling disenfranchised and as if their voices are not being heard. In the physical education space, um, I was aware of the work that Dr. Srihan Lynch um, and her co-founder, Laura McBean, were doing in regards to uh, Black, Asian and minority ethnic physical educators. So I reached out to Srihan and Laura um, to ask them a little bit more about the work they were doing and how we as a community can come together and start changing the narrative around how physical education is delivered, the types of people's voices who are being heard within that space, um, so we can all start working forward together. I hope you'll enjoy my conversation with Dr. Srihan Lynch and Laura McBean. I'm joined by Laura and Srihan today. Uh, thanks so much for joining us. Um, I'd love for you just to let everybody know a little bit about yourself, your background, um, for those people that don't know you. So Laura, would you like to go first? Yeah, sure. Hi, my name's Laura McBean. I'm currently a physical education teacher at secondary level, and I'm also completing my doctorate in education. Nice, and then Srihan? 
Hi, yep, my name is Srihan Lynch. I'm currently a senior lecturer at the University of East London and my role is training teachers in physical education. So I was a PE teacher myself and um, have transitioned now into academia. Nice. And I know that, uh, Srihan, before you're, I, I guess you're from the UK originally, but um, you're in the you're in the United States for a little while. Yeah, I was extremely fortunate enough to complete my PhD um, and doctoral studies at the University of Alabama. So I was there for around three and a half years um, and my PhD was in transformative pedagogies in physical education and teacher education. So looking really on how we can raise the critical consciousness of young people in schools and teachers in the field um, to teach more equitably. Nice. Yeah. And I think I probably came across your work um, through Twitter um, early on, probably while you're in the, the United States there um, and was interested in, in some of the things that you were sharing. Um, and then I saw, uh, I guess, the the birth of, of this BAME PE um, movement that, that yourself and Laura um, have sort of founded. Um, does either of you want to sort of let it people that are listening know, I guess, like, what is BAME PE? Where did it start? What, what does it, what does the acronym stand for? Um, and sort of what sort of work are you guys doing? Yeah, sure. So um, firstly, BAME PE stands for um, Black and Minority Ethnic uh, Physical Education or Educators. Um, so it was born from, in, in brief, we, me and Sri attended a conference uh, a national conference over here for PE teachers and at the conference I was the only visibly black uh, member there um, and it, it just threw me. Um, I was, I'm new into the field, um, I didn't expect at a national level for that to be the case um, and what I observed there I just thought something wasn't right um, and also I had written for part of my PGCE so that's my teacher training course I had written an article on um, understanding whiteness in physical education um, and just a lot of things were sort of coming together and on our way back from that conference, um, Shri just sort of said to me, well, what are you going to do about it? Um, and that literally was just, that was the birth of Baby. I sort of, I kind of started it without knowing exactly what the direction was going to be of it, but I just knew that there needed to be some change. Sure. Yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting one. Laura, do you want, uh, sorry, Shrihan, do you want to add anything to, I guess, how did, I guess, your background and the, the work that you've done through your PhD, um, I guess you maybe saw an opportunity there and, and Laura was a, the impetus for that to start or? Yeah, I was really fortunate to have the pleasure of working with Laura um, as her lecturer um, on her PGCE. So we had built a really great relationship. Laura is my friend first and foremost, and then she's my colleague and comrade in all of this. And I suppose the conversation with any social justice movement um, or when any issue of social justice happens, there's a lot of talk. There's a lot of people saying, let's do this. Have we thought about this? Let's learn about this. But there's never any action. And I'm really tired 
Um, I think Sarah Ahmed, who I absolutely love and I encourage everyone to read, calls this equity fatigue. And um, working within social justice issues constantly can, can become tiring and draining. And so my, what I always say to my students and anybody that I work with is, okay, what's the actual action from this? What are we gonna do? What, this is the gap. This is what we've identified. Let's take it to the national organization. Okay, they're not gonna do anything. We'll do something about it. And because we're a collective, we're a movement, we can move. Um, much quicker than any national organization can because um, we just get our members involved and we we treat it like a democratic process um, and we're all equal here um, and certain voices have to be central in that and actually those voices aren't um, those that are most dominant in our field which are typically our white cisgendered heterosexual males me <laughs> yeah and it's interesting because i think that like with um <clears throat> all of this stuff that's i guess in the media right now and and um i think for me it's been something that's just been in my in the front of my thinking for the past few weeks and i think you hit the really important point there is like what now because we realize that like there's there's an issue there's a problem that this has been going on for too long and, and it, it probably shouldn't have taken for people to become aware of it in the way that it, it has, because it, people should have been aware of it previously. But like, I think that the big step is, okay, like we're angry, we're upset, we're outraged. Like we want to make change, but like, what do we actually do? How do we, how do we go about making that change? Because it is so systemic. Like it is like Laura talked about, like you went to that conference, you were the only like person that looks like you at that conference. So you know, why, why is it like that? Like what, what is stopping, I guess, um, black and minority ethnicity educators from, from getting, I guess, is it, is the stumbling block that the university level, the higher education level, or is it then, you know, the getting jobs, the issue, like, like how, how has this become, I guess, an issue in, in the physical education space? Uh, that, that, that's a very big question that's why yeah. I can't. um because i think we've got problems at every single level um and i just take that from my for myself um so i did gccp i did a level p the sort of knowledge that i've come to know it's been in the last a year two years since i started my pgc so i would not say i had any level of critical consciousness so i'd experienced racism um I'd experienced challenges whilst in education. However, I don't think I had the knowledge to challenge it in the way that I'd be able to challenge it now. Um, but I also still believe I'm in the foundation steps of it. There's a lot of things I'm still reading I don't quite fully understand, but I'm educating myself to learn these things because I recognize that I was educated through white knowledge my entire life. Um, so even regardless of my culture or my color and everything that I've been brought up around, um all the knowledge that i have been fed has come from white knowledge um and i have to recognize that and that makes me question a lot in terms of even doing the bain p movements like certain things that i'm doing i have to question well is this really accessible to the people that i want it to be accessible to um, and how can we create that culture yeah for sure i think um like we talked a little bit before um 
before we started recording that I actually lived in the UK for a couple of years, um, straight out of university. So me and three of my, my friends um, graduated from the University of Tasmania. Um, Tasmania is a very predominantly white part of the world. Uh, I think one of our, um, if you look at like historical facts from Tasmania, one of the, like the most common historical facts is that we had the, the last full-blooded Indigenous Aboriginal um, person in, in Tasmania and her name was Truganini and she was, she was murdered. Um, so like Tasmania is a very closed, small, insular place. So I went from going to university there where, yeah, I probably had a very singular story of, of what physical education was and, and what education was. And then I graduated and went to the UK and my first day of work was in a school in Brixton. And I arrived to the school to be greeted by a security guard, uh, locked gates, walked in. Uh, the week before, uh, a young, I think grade seven or grade eight boy had been um, murdered in a gangland um, sort of incident, shot in his bed. And I was just like, oh my God, like I have no idea what this world is. And then, you know, my class was a majority black class here I am like a beginning teacher, let alone somebody new to the country. And it was just a completely like eye-opening experience for me. And it became very evident very quickly that like what I'd been taught and the way I'd been taught wasn't going to help and serve these kids at all. So it was like a real, I guess, it was an eye-opening experience, but it was also like I, I felt helpless. I didn't know what to do. I didn't know how to how to con- how to connect with these kids. I didn't know how to 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 work with them. Um, and and I'm guessing that you know this is this is one of the issues that like we do in schools like that. You know, you do have that white teacher majority majority of the time up in front of these kids, and like there's making that connection is probably really difficult. Yeah, and I think two things from that. One, you should be so thankful you're from Tasmania because Hannah Gadsby is a legend and she's from Tasmania (laughs) and I absolutely love her. And I suggest anybody to go and watch her Netflix documentaries slash um, comedy sketches on there because they're amazing and will raise anybody's critical consciousness, especially those um, who support the patriarchy. Um, And then secondly, yeah, you raised a really good point. How do we prepare teachers to um, respect, value, and appreciate the voices of young people and respect that actually, even as a white person, you might be going into a person of color space, neighborhood. We know that most people travel into neighborhoods to go um, to, to work in that school. They have no idea the boroughs and the challenges those boroughs face in terms of social deprivation. So um, part of the work BAME-PE has been doing is um, trying to look at those numbers of ethnic minority teachers, um, trying to send ethnic minority teachers in physical education to conferences Um, and supporting them in their initial stages and processes of becoming a teacher um, and and helping them in their journey, which is why we launched the Women Leaders series. um, And we have another series coming shortly, which I won't share too much information about because hopefully everybody 
we'll log in and have a look at those. But um, the the we can't generalize that this is what your experience is going to be like in this school, but we can share um, voices of lots and lots of different women in physical education and say, hey, this is what your experiences might be like. These are some of the people that you might learn from. Um, so that's that's a little bit about our work and how we're trying to tackle those things that you were mentioning about going into different spaces. Yeah, I mean, and I guess what like you talked about statistics around that are like, do you have any statistics around like uh, probably for the UK there? Like what is the, the I guess, breakdown in terms of that, like black and minority ethnic people um, working within physical education settings in the UK? just trying to locate the I'm just trying to pull up the numbers <laughs> to, not, to not misquote myself um, yeah. we did mention it in our BMP paper yeah so in terms of education overall roughly it's about 86 percent um, of the teaching population is white British um, within postgraduate physical education so the trainees that are going into PE teaching there was seven percent um, that came from a minority ethnic group. And that, that was uh, the figures from 2019, I believe. So it is a very small percentage that are even entering the training. Mm -hmm. And then if you like, just in a general population standpoint then, so that's the, the teachers, like what are the, the students that they're serving? Like what, what are the like, just breakdown of ethnicities there? I don't think there's actually any figures on it, but what we do know in all the schools, um, so we're London-based, um, it's a very diverse population. And anywhere you go across the country, it's becoming increasingly diverse in schools. So those figures are, um, it's, it's a problem. Um, but we also have to look at why are we actually not getting them into the teacher training? Because there are many students who enter sort of university as an undergraduate. Um, but then there just doesn't seem to be that connection between that and then going into the teacher training. And then I don't know, Srihan, if there's anything in your research has like found like what that disconnect is. Yeah, well, well we know, although Laura just shared the numbers of uh, only 7% of ethnic minorities going into physical education teacher training, these numbers are from last year, around 40% of the population of London um, do not identify as white. So already there's disparity in that, um, in, in those numbers. Um, can you repeat your question, sorry? It was just around, Laura was saying around, um, you know, that, that there are numbers of people going into that postgraduate training, but then maybe not coming out the other side. Um, so what, what's, the, what's the disconnect there? Like, what, like if we're getting... Um, black and minority ethnicities into these university programs why are we not seeing it come out the other end in terms of in the in the classrooms I, I I'm not sure that we are getting them in the programs actually because um, I know this because every single year on Twitter people post pictures of their programs and say congratulations to cohort of 2019 or 2018 and you'll see 20 to 30 trainees that um, visually appear um, as white um, now they may not all identify as white and so I am judging there based on based on a photograph um, 
but and a lot of those photographs that I see you know that that is what I see I think um still in schools there are there are not enough teachers of of um color um there are not enough teachers um who wear hijabs in physical education um I always give this example that one of my colleagues shared with me and his daughter absolutely loves physical education and um he asked her what do you want to be when you leave school like you need to pick your choices now for academic studies in the later years of of schooling and he thought that she was going to say PE I want to be a PE teacher and she said um she didn't say that and he asked why and she said well I've never seen a PE teacher that wears a hijab so I don't think I I can be that can I and ever since he shared that with me it's my absolute mission to send a, you know as many teachers who wear hijabs in into school so that young people know um yes you can do this and and you would be valued in this and we appreciate you um and we want we want to hear from you we want you to apply to my program please do come to UEL <laughs> i would love to have you um and i will help you and i will um I won't necessarily understand what you go through as a trainee teacher wearing a hijab, but I can um, do my very best to support you and coach you through that process as much as I can. Um, so I think that overall, um, there is a disconnect in the numbers. I think that we have a lot of work to do, and a lot of that work will probably stem from the physical education programmes that we still see in school. Are all of those children represented in their physical education program? Is the curriculum equitable? I'm not sure it is. I, I think we're still doing fitness testing unquestioned. I think we're running on a multi-activity approach. Um, and I'm generalizing here. There are some amazing physical education programs across England. Um, but largely from my experiences of working in partnerships um, and speaking to other um, people who do my job, it's the same things that I'm hearing coming back. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's interesting. I watched a, I think uh, I watched a TED talk that somebody had posted on Twitter um, in reply to some of the conversations that we'd been having on there. Um, and it was the danger of a single story. And it was a Nigerian um, author and it was just so interesting, like, and she talked about how, like, growing up in in Nigeria, like, she only had access to um, American and British books. And so then when she started writing, it was all about, you know, white children in the snow and drinking tea and, and all of these things that were, like, completely foreign to her because that's what she thought what books were about. Or that's the only way the books could be. And it's sort of what you're, what you're touching on there, that, you know, if you're a young person in a school, um, black or minor, minority ethnicity and, and you're seeing that the only PE teachers that you have are these white males or, or white females even then like how can that even become a possibility for you that you're not being you don't have those role models to say like hey this is something that I that maybe I, I could do because even if you want to maybe you think like this is this is not possible possible for me so um, and then you touch on another really important point there about the, the curriculum and I think um, you know if you look at that traditional curriculum, it is very, I don't know if I want to use the word colonial, but like 
it's very much like you look at a, a PE curriculum in Australia, it's going to be very similar to a PE curriculum in the UK because we come we're, we're one of the colonies. We like our education system is based upon the UK education system. Um, but then we know, like you've said, the, the clientele or the students now, a majority or, or almost a majority of them don't identify as being within that ethnicity. So how do we start to shift that curriculum piece? Like what can we be doing curriculum wise to make it more inclusive or equitable? Um, I think for a start, because there, there are some people who would just say, okay, so let's look up a sport from a certain country and let's just sort of implement it. And that will be the answer to all our problems. Um, and definitely that's not what I'd recommend. Um, Cause for a start, you need to be aware of the context of your school. Um, so have a conversation with your students. Pupil voice is very important. Um, and that's where you're going to get the true sort of the, the knowledge that you need to implement something that's going to be of benefit to them will be from them. Um, and too often pupils are left out of the conversation. Um, educators just try to implement, implement um, to no success in a sort of tokenistic manner. I'm so glad you said that because, yeah, that was, I think, a lot of things that I've seen is, you know, people say, well, I'm doing a, I'm doing a World Games unit and I'm going to do a, a game from here and a game from there and a game from, so therefore right now it's inclusive. Um, but perhaps that's just tokenistic, like you say, like, um, Shrihan, do you have anything to add to, you know, how can we, how can we make the curriculum more accessible for, for black and minority ethnic people? Yeah, I, I mean, there is amazing work and literature out there that speaks and extends this conversation. I would encourage people to listen, read, um, um, and you could have a look at the social justice in physical education series that's free, um, open access on the Shape America website, part one and part two, that I had the pleasure of writing with some amazing colleagues. But most importantly, I think um, grounding your pedagogy in principles that aligns with your philosophy. So I would say I ground my work in democratic principles. My classes are always negotiated. They're always participatory. Um, people should always feel like they have a voice. Um, they are relational. Um, and and that means that I'm not telling them they're doing six weeks of football. That means that we have a discussion on what physical education is and we find out what they want to do. Um, and that's probably largely grounded on work by Paolo Freire um, in the sense that I am, I am knowledge sharing with students in the space of physical education. And I don't have all of the answers because we don't even know the jobs that our young people are going to get when they leave school. They know far more than we give them credit for. Um, they are amazing, talented, wonderful um, human beings. And we have to show them that and appreciate that and give them a voice to amplify that in our lessons. That's really our jobs. Um, that's really my job as a teacher and as a teacher edu educator. And it's taken me a long time to get to this process. I don't, I don't think when I was a physical education teacher, I was, um, you know, I would have, I would have, I think I might have frowned at some of the things that I now tell teachers off for doing. <laughs> 
but it's this is a journey um, and it's about finding others that are also on that journey and reaching out to people like me and Laura or reaching out to you and having these open dialogues and conversations about what is it you're doing and how are we beginning to critique our practice and how can we be better for our young people and asking them. Mm -hmm. I, I love that and I think um, as you as you were sort of explaining it it made it like the the bells are going off in my head because this is something that I feel like I, I've been trying to like share with with people in the physical education community for a long time those people that are really stuck in that you know well you know i'm a physical educator i've got to get kids moving i've got to get them fit i've got to make sure that you know I'll, my focus is going to be especially if you're looking in like the north american space that a lot of physical education programs are designed to support athletic programs so like we're going to build a great football team or we're going to have a great uh, basketball team but like for me, physical education is not that. It's it's what you've just spoken about. It's how do we actually engage kids in this conversation so that when they leave us, because they're only going to be with us for a short part of their life, that they have the knowledge, the skills, the attitudes, the understandings to go out and become active members of not only their community, but the, the, the wider community. There's a great quote that um, I use all the time and it comes from the... Um, I think it's from the UNESCO quality physical education guidelines. And it talks about physical education being the most effective means um, for developing like well-rounded global citizens. And it's not, it doesn't say anything about physical education as the most effective means of like creating like sports stars or extremely fit people. It talks about creating like well-rounded um, global citizens who, who can contribute to their communities. So um, I love that that approach um and i think it's 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 really important to have these conversations and, and to talk to kids about this stuff whether they're I'm, an, I'm a minority or not i think a lot of the times we don't even engage our kids in those discussions at all it's here's the curriculum here's what i'm going to teach we're doing six weeks of this and six weeks of that and and at the end of the year um we've, we've covered we've covered everything so um I think just having that approach, whether you're working with the intention of, of trying to make um, black and minority ethnicities more visible or not just generally for, for, for everybody, I think that's a really um, great way to approach things. Um, I think we talked earlier about, I guess, you know, you've, you've started this, this BAME PE um, movement or collective and, and trying to shift things forward. And you talked about, um, you know, that maybe, you know, presenting it to, to authorities and governments and if they're not willing to, to take things on board, but like, how can we take action? It's my, my next step. If I'm uh, an educator in a school right now and I'm, I'm working and, you know, I have um, black and minority ethnicity students with me like what can I be doing and how can I sh what what should I be doing what are the first steps I should be taking I think as an educator my first step would always be to educate yourself don't rely on the children to educate you so don't get me wrong their voice is valued and you need to hear from them but you need to do some work um, yourself um, and it's not easy um, because we're restricted by the literature that we have out there in the field because it is only coming from one type of voice. Um, but I think we're seeing a lot more things being produced by others um, that are providing a different sort of narrative. Um, 
don't know what Sri, do you want to add something on that? The big question. Yeah, it is a big question, but it's an important question. Um, I think that if I was a teacher in school and I, you know, I didn't know where to begin, it, it is about finding allies and people to come on the journey with you, as I mentioned before. And, um, you know, I was thinking as you were chatting earlier about um, Miriam Wright, Elderman has this saying, you can't be what you can't see. You can't be what you can't see. And so if um, your students can't see the, the different things, then provide them with those opportunities. Um, there's lots of good literature out there where you can, you can begin your journey, um, but make sure you're not asking people of colour to do the work for you. So exactly like I echo what Laura said, go away, do your reading, um, ask questions when you need to, um, find out the other um, platforms. So um, BAME, so we say Black, uh, Asian, Minority, Ethnic, or Black and Minority Ethnic, find out what your, um, you know, those categories are in other countries, they will have groups, seek them out, they will have guidelines on how to be an ally for their groups. And I can't say enough about finding a network and a community of people because we learn in communities, we're social beings. So really just um, find, find your allies and they don't have to be in the same place as you. They can be abroad. Um, we're always welcome for people to reach out to us and have a look on our website because that's the first, the first stop for, for all of this stuff where we've collated all of the readings, we've got blogs on there, we've got resources on there, we've just released a resource for um, trans and gender norm conforming students that you can use as a physical education teacher. So this is this is um, the one stop shop at this moment in time that you can go for and you can get um, almost everything you need or you can begin to contribute and you can come and help us and you can volunteer. We both have full time jobs. We do all of this stuff in our spare time. Um, so get involved. Um, and that's that's really the first step to learning. Get yourself yeah. out there. And that's exactly why I wanted to talk to you guys, because, yeah, definitely for me, <clears throat> I think looking into that, yeah, like the physical education space, like it is hard to find find literature and information. And, and I think the platform that you guys have, have created is, is a really valuable one. And, and I look forward to seeing it, it continue to grow. Um, when you mentioned just before about, uh, you know, you can't be what you can't see, like it, it made me think of, I don't know if you've seen... Um, there's a guy here um, in who's in the US, Emmanuel Acho, who's been putting out this uncomfortable conversations with a black man. Um, Sarah, are you aware of aware of that at all? So he's an ex uh, he's actually an ex um, NFL footballer, um, and he just put out a video a couple of weeks ago um, around uncomfortable conversations with a black man, and it was like all the questions that you want to ask but you're too you're too afraid to to ask. So he, he talks about you know well like should I use the term um, black or African-American and why is it okay for, um, for black people to use the N word, but for non-black people to not use that word. So like all these questions that, you know, are out there that maybe you're not 
it's not comfortable to ask. And so from there, he's now released these other videos. One I think is with uh, Matthew McConaughey and they have a conversation. And the whole idea of it is like a black person and a white person having a, an uncomfortable conversation. Um, and he shared in this latest one, this, this great thing. And he was saying, you know, as a young person, he never had a dog. Um, his family didn't have a dog and his, um, his sister was attacked by a dog when he was young. And ever since then, he's been afraid of dogs. So even as an old, old like an, um, a grown man now, he sees a dog and he's not sure, like, is this dog going to attack me? Is this dog dangerous to me? And then he equates that to if you only have a single story, if you only associate with people that are the same as you, your initial reaction when you see somebody who's different is going to be one of fear. So from, a, from a, an early age, if you can connect with people who are um, different than you are and have conversations with them and understand that actually, while we may be visibly different, we're all pretty similar like as human beings, um, that that can help to maybe bridge that, that divide and, and bring people together and help them to understand that, you know, we may be different and you may be experiencing um, a different journey on life than I am, but, and here's how I can help you and here's how you can help me. And here's how we can actually work together um, to, to make the world a, a more equitable place. So um, definitely I'll, I'll shoot you the link to, to that um, after we get off. Cause I think he has a really great way of um, using these analogies to like take these really big, concepts and actually put them into like really easy to digest and understand understand ways um i'm conscious of time because um i want i, I know we, we i try to keep these episodes to about 45 minutes and we could just go on all day um but before we do um i wanted to i guess we, we've talked about i guess first steps to take um you have some other work coming up that you mentioned you didn't want to give too much away. I'm wondering if you can maybe give us a little bit of a sneak peek as what's coming down the, down the pipe for, for Bain PE. Well, we, <laughs> um, we just got off a call and we are launching a podcast, which will be very different to yours. So don't worry. No, that's and fine. that that they um they will be short very short bite-sized conversations and critical conversations that we need to have in the field so they'll hopefully be a starting point and they'll be very accessible to individuals so you know you might just go on a run or be driving to work and just be able to put this on and listen to it and they'll all be around um issues of um uh, of fighting for justice, um, issues in uh, physical education, um, socio-cultural issues that we have in physical education. And um, we're also sharing some stories. Um, we already have our women leaders um, and they come from very diverse backgrounds and share amazing stories from infertility to being a black woman, a head of department, you know, so there's, there's lots of different stories there to hear from. Um, and we're also going to be releasing one shortly on men in the field. And that's all I'll say. I don't want to give too much away. No, of course. Well, thank you so much for sharing that. It does make me think I was thinking of something earlier and, and I wanted to talk to you about it was so like, I think it was probably late last year, um, I, was, I was invited to be one of the keynote speakers at the, the um, PE Institute in Asheville. 
um, North Carolina. Now I'd been in 2012 as a keynote speaker. And so I'd been invited and the, the email went out to everybody. Here's the, here's our lineup for the, the keynote speakers. And I didn't notice, but it was pointed out that all five presenters were <laughs> all five presenters were white males. And I'm so happy that, that, um, you brought that to, to the attention and to my attention because it wasn't something that I noticed at all. Um, and it really, I guess, opened my eyes, but also like it made me feel uncomfortable. I didn't know how to respond. I didn't know if I should say something. I didn't know if, if I would just like should be quiet and like it, it would go away. Like it was a real, I guess, pivotal like turning point for me and to try to understand, okay, like, yeah, like, I have this opportunity, I have this privilege, I have this, you know, this platform, but what could I be doing to like use that to help people or like what should I be doing in, in those situations? I don't know if you want to speak to that a little bit, Shrihan. Yeah, well, um, that's another thing that we're doing is we're going to have a speakers page <laughs> so that we can direct people to it because this is a real issue. Um, I've, I always call it out. I'm sorry if that was me and I've made you feel uncomfortable, but we have no. to feel uncomfortable. And um, we have to remember that certain people's knowledge have been really valued in this field for a very long time. And it's time to give space to other individuals. And that means that we have to say no. Um, and that means we have to say, no, I'm not going to do this. And I'm not going to be on this panel. And um, these are some of the people that you might want to look for, because actually we haven't heard from them before. And we need to we need to make space for these people to, to be heard from. So it takes a lot for people to do that. But that's what a real ally would do. Um, and um, and actually conference organizers should be asking themselves these questions. If they're powerful enough to create an, a conference, they should be powerful enough to put themselves in check. Um, check the che There's a checklist on the BayMed Network website, which is brilliant. Any conference organizer can go to. Um, and it will ask, you know, is this conference accessible? Um, are you paying your speakers? Are your speakers, you know, um, uh, are they white? You know, it asks all of these different types of questions. Is there a space for women to breastfeed? Uh, you know, there are all these different things um, and types of questions that we have to ask. And unfortunately, um, many of the conferences in physical education are wildly inaccessible. Um, and that is something that has to change. And, and both Laura and I, um, I did it when I was in the States calling Shape Out. I wrote many blogs about my conferences and experiences there. And Laura did the same when she attended the AFPE National Conference. Um, so these people that run these conferences really have to um, ensure that they're, they're providing an equitable experience for all people to access the conference. And that that's bigger than just speakers coming. It's um, every single factor of, of oppression. Yeah. And then like, I, I, yeah, like when I say that made me feel uncomfortable, I think like that's a good thing. I think it's a good thing that it made me feel uncomfortable because yeah, like I wasn't aware I was, I was blind to, to that. It was, I was, I was just happy that I was invited to go and do it. But then when I saw that, I started to think like, yeah, like, Hey, this isn't right. And, and I don't think it was, done from i mean like Artie 
who organized that conference would identify as a minority ethnicity. So it's, it's, it was an interesting, an interesting thing. But since then it's, it's definitely opened up my eyes and even trying to like do things like this podcast. Um, I, I looked back and I was like, all right, like I've got so many men on this podcast. Like I, I like, I need to make sure that I'm opening it up um, and getting some variety of stories as well, because yeah, it's really easy, I think, to like to fall into that to that trap, but actually being able to stop, step back and say like, hey, like, no, this is not okay. We need to be hearing these other stories. We need to be um, giving um, other people an opportunity to share their story because the stories are so powerful and the stories are so important for, for us to hear. So um, I want to thank both of you and, and everybody else who's involved in the BAMP network for like starting this movement and growing this movement. And I'm so excited to see where it goes. Um, I'm following along all the time. Every time something new comes out, I'm checking it out and watching your videos and reading your blog posts. So um, thank you so much. Um, you've sort of talked about the blog. Um, so people who are looking for that, I think it's, it's bamepe.wordpress.com. Is that correct? Um, and then you have your social media accounts there. Um, if you're watching the video of this, I guess you'll be able to see their social media um, uh, handles there. But uh, so Laura is at McBean PE um, and then Srihan is at Dr. Lynch PE. So you can definitely reach out to them through those social um, media channels as well. Before we wrap it up, I want to just give you an opportunity for any last words, anything that you think um, people need to hear or should hear or anything that that you think that I need to, to hear? Well, I'll, I'll ask a question and it's the same question that I asked Laura last year. What are you going to do now? And that goes out to the listeners and, and for you, you know, you've listened to this podcast, you've taken the time to get this, this far through it. What's your next step? And only you can internalize that and, and answer that yourself. Yeah, I think that's a great question. And that's a great way to, to end things off, Srihan. Thank you so much. Um, I'm interested to see where this conversation goes. Um, I'm interested from my own personal journey um, to, to see, you know, where where it can go. It's like I, my, myself and my wife have been like, we spend most of our evenings, like we have two young girls. We have a three-year-old and a one-year-old. Like I'm surrounded by, by women in my house. And, you know, the conversations that we've been having over the past few evenings around, you know, like how are we going to raise these girls to, to be strong women who stand up for what's right and who have a real strong voice in social justice. So um, it's something that I'm committed to to learning more about and, and to, to finding ways that, that I can, I can be an ally and that I can help. So thank you again so much for, for spending this time with me. And I look forward to continuing the conversation with, with you and everybody else um, as we move forward. Thank you so much for listening to our episode. And as Dr. Lynch left us with, what are you going to do now? Um, it's a question that I think we all need to ask ourselves as we move forward. Thank you so much for listening to this episode and I look forward to connecting with you again soon for another episode of Phys Edcast.